Welcome, guys, to the podcast, Michaelson's Podcast, with Nick and Kevin, where we talk about uh, law, games, and the law about games. Hi, guys. It is a overcast Sunday morning where I am. Uh, so, normal disclaimer, I am recording from home today, so if there are any domestic noises, I do apologize. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Nick. It is also a very overcast Sunday morning where I am, and I'm nursing a little bit of a, a little bit of a late night last night. Go a little bit wild on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. <laughs> as a, as a parent, I don't do this anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. Okay. So what are you what are you doing to help you? What are you drinking? I've got my coffee. My yeah, no, I've just got a, I've just got a cup of tea over here. I, f- I feel like we should have, we should have maybe recorded this last night to give the, to give the listeners a little bit more, uh, interesting fare. But um, alas, at some point we'll, we'll do this, I'm sure. In- indeed, indeed, we'll, we'll get better at this. So the public holidays sort of now are sort of just playing havoc with everyone's schedule. Uh, any interesting work happen this week? Uh, corporate acquisitions. Trying my patience. The company's oh registrar. Oh, it was. It's a, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Mm. It's I been a long a week. Of, mm, I had quite a lot of games work this week, which is quite nice. Got some uh, very interesting things happening in the local industry. A lot of our clients are moving and shaking and doing interesting stuff. So that's very exciting. I'm glad to report that. That's awesome. Uh, but the exciting news, I suppose, is that we officially have a name. Yes, indeed we do. Yes, so we'd like to thank uh, Francois. Fannikuk from Clockwork Acorn. Uh, disclaimer: He is one of our clients, uh, and one of he he gave, submitted a whole bunch of suggestions. Um, but ultimately, we have decided to go with Critical Lawsuit. Indeed, so we're very high critical. High five, Leon. Yeah. High five. There we go. High five. Uh, so thanks, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> Not Leon. Not <laughs> Leon's the other other bit of Clockwork Acorn. Uh, anyway, so what's what's happening in the news? Uh, I think you had something very interesting that you were telling me earlier about uh, Jim Sterling. What was yes, that? so yes, yes. So Jim Sterling, um, for those of you who don't know, he is a uh, YouTuber slash games journalist, uh, and he is being sued by an indie developer called Digital Homicide. Basically, they say that Jim's reviews of their games have caused them significant harm. Uh, they're going for a total of ten million dollars. Um, and they are, they've accused him of assault, libel, and slander. Uh, (laughs) and it's quite an interesting read. So they're asking 2.26 million, uh, for brand damage, essentially. So damage about the reviews to their games. Um, 4.3 million in emotional damage. Well, emotional reputational and financial distress. I was going to say five, that's that's quite a that's quite a heavy emotional loss that they've suffered there. That's a lot of yeah. that's a lot of Kleenex and crying. And then and then five million in punitive damages. Hmm. Um, they tried to even they tried to to crowdsource it, um, crowdfunded the some like uh, their attorney fees. Uh, oh, because so, okay, so this was they're representing themselves in the lawsuit. They don't actually have an attorney, mm-hmm. uh, so they did a crowdfunding um, campaign to try and. Uh, you know, be able to pay for an attorney. Uh, but the internet happened, and so they've had to take down <laughs> the their crowdfunding suit. Um, yeah, I, it's... It, 
So one of one of the I, I just don't see them being successful for one. Um, part of it because is that there's a lot of well, supposedly there's a lot of truth in what Jim Sterling says. I mean, so he is a critical reviewer. He's allowed, you know, they can't if they've produced a bad game. They, there's no defense. Truth is truth is to a degree defensible. Um, sort of one of the more startling allegations that he's made is that essentially they they just use other people's assets. They don't actually create anything new themselves. And the sort of the games are really sort of uh, derivative, uh, very generic, and they don't really do anything innovative. And that's sort of been his sort of slating of them. So uh, the fact that they don't have an attorney as well, um, this isn't exactly a, uh, uh, you know, a, a simple area of law. So if they don't get the fees somewhere to pay an attorney, I just don't see that they're going to be successful. Mm. It kind of makes me feel like they're. <laughs> That they're assuming that there is some sort of right to successful business um, <coughs> that they yeah. have that is being that is being infringed upon by by his critical reviews, and that's, yeah, that's just so nonsense. They try to use the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to take down his YouTube videos, uh, which kind of worked for a while. But uh, Jim Sterling fought all of those takedown notices, and they've all been found to legitimate. So, mm. you know, I think they're going to be up here. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, another another lawsuit uh, issue that that popped onto my desk uh, was that I found quite interesting was Lindsay Lohan. Um, now we know we know that she's been embroiled in a lot of lawsuits in the past, uh, particularly one big one from a couple of years back, where she sued Rockstar Games for apparently using her likeness in GTA V. Oh, well, she's now been given a, a Supreme Court, um, essentially an authorization to, to carry on with that case, um, which which seems very positive for her. Um, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this. On the, on the one hand, um, it's good that, I think it's good that uh, publicity rights, and for, for, for listeners who, who, who don't really understand how this this thing works, in, in the U.S. there are things called publicity rights, which prevents you from using other people's uh, – sorry, which prevents other people from using your likeness. In South Africa, we have essentially subsumed this entire thing under privacy law um, mm. and dignity, uh, but they, they essentially do the same thing. And on the one hand, I think that it's that it's good – that she's she's been listened to and allowed to um, to carry on with this case, but at the same time, I'm not convinced that it actually has any merits. If you look at what she's what she's alleging, they, there's a character that looks a little bit like her and grew up in the same place and has has dealt with similar things. But you could really regard that as being applicable to any actor or actress. And yeah, in my so in my opinion, the, the the character doesn't look like her. She looks like Kate Upton. So, <laughs> uh, so okay. I, I wrote I've wrote, written an article about using people's likeness in games, mm. um, which we will link to in the in the comments. So yes. people can read on, on that more. And Lindsay Lohan is one of the cases that we deal with. Um, so, uh, just my take on it is, is also well. I think look. I think this is an established area of law, and I don't. Uh, I I dis I disagree with you. I think she does have a claim. Um, you know, I think I think there is the likeness there, and sort of the whole background and everything else is that Rockstar was clearly trying to draw a parallel to Lindsay Lohan. Um, but the thing is, is that personality rights don't have a, a parity defense. Um, 
So, you know, this is why with something like Broforce, for example, um, it's okay for them to sort of parody the 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 fictional characters right who will look like those actors and that's okay but they can't say sylvester stallone or they can't have chuck norris in the game because then that would be using someone's personality rights um and i think the whole thing is that if somebody is particularly famous i mean it's it's sort of pseudo endorsement i mean that's kind of that's kind of the thing uh so like again i'm, I'm glad i'm like i'm glad that it's I'm, I'm glad that the case is progressing. Um, I think it's I think it's important rights to be defended. Um, yeah, so I, I'll look to see. It'll be interesting to see what the Supreme Court sort of does with this and, and where where they're mm. going to fall. And uh, it'll it'll essentially give us a little bit more uh, meat to chew on in terms of mm. in terms of a lot of academics and uh, legal thinkers giving us uh, more insight. Mm, indeed. And what else do you have for us, Kevin? Uh, oh yeah, so the uh, GDC uh, happened recently, and um, something that I found fantastic, very very interesting, was that virtual reality developers are warning each other essentially against uh, going too far into horror games in virtual reality, um, essentially because it's more difficult for the brain to um, sort of calm itself down uh, when it's when it sees a fright in in virtual reality. It, it, they, they're afraid of the brain kicking into the primal uh, fight or flight response uh, in VR rather than uh, the way that we currently handle uh, jump scares and horror films uh, in the cinema. Um, and it just made me think. It's it's a fascinating possibility where with the advent of VR and the 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 um, increased immersion factor that you get in this particular realm of uh, of display, you could potentially be emotionally and psychologically harmed by a video game far mm. more than we've ever seen before, mm. um, and that could open up an entire new realm of uh, of lawsuits. I mean, have you have? I'm sure some people have tried in the past to um, to sue on the grounds that a, a film particularly scarred them. But I don't believe that that would have as much weight as if you were walking through a virtual reality and a lizard man or zombie or something jumped out and tore at you when you weren't expecting it. It's certainly interesting, and like you said, I think it's going to lead to a whole bound uh, sort of new area of, of sort of negligence law um, and product liability law. You know, mm. warning: using this product may, you know, don't use this product if you have heart problems. Yeah, <laughs> you see it. And it uh, feels so it's, it's something it, to watch. It feels like uh, uh, VR game developers may well have to actually require their customers to sign disclaimers mm, and mm. Um, yeah, liability disclaimers. Yeah. So the last thing that I want to talk about, which is local, which is fairly interesting, is um, some reports came out on Friday, I think. It's where LazyGamer.net and then also on my broadband, uh, that apparently the Films and Publications Board is threatening Netflix on the grounds that they are uh, 
aren't rating their content and that the Films and Publications Board is seeking to prevent, if Netflix, they gave them basically like I think two weeks, I think the report said, to comply or they were going to take action against them. They were going to find them and possibly shut them down. Now, depending on which source you read, uh, these claims have been rubbish. So while it has been said that, yes, the Films and Publications Board is in talks with Netflix, whether or not it's that acrimonious and that ultimatums have been given or not seems to be up in the air. Um, from a legal perspective, what is interesting is that, yeah, totally, Netflix, under the current law, Netflix should be putting their Films and Publications Board ratings onto the content. Um, what is interesting, I think, is that, or why I don't see that this should be that much of an issue um, from Netflix's side, is that a lot of the content that's on Netflix will probably be distributed through traditional means. So the classification already exists for these products, um, which does raise an interesting question of double dipping. You know, if, if, uh, if this product has already received a rating to be aired on TV, can Netflix not just slap on that rating, or would they need to reapply it? So that's something interesting to talk about, uh, which kind of leads us on nicely to our next topic. So as, as mentioned before, we're going to be talking about the Films and Publications Board all of this month. So today we're going to talk about sort of why we have classification at all. And I think a good starting point is because often people uh, will confuse classification and censorship. So I think that's our starting point is to sort of say, well, what's the difference between the two? Uh, and then from there, we can sort of explore the theoretical mm -hmm. reasons behind it uh, and how it sort of fits into the broader legal framework. So censorship, which is what a lot of people often accuse the Films and Publications Board of doing, and this is not correct, um, is would be that it would be criminal to possess or distribute or create certain types of content. Now, in terms of the Films and Publications Board Act, there's actually, there is some stuff which is censored. Uh, child pornography, bestiality, um, a depiction uh, that severely impairs... Um, a person's dignity, be it sexual or, or otherwise, um, extreme violence, uh, incest. And for all of these cases, this needs to be actual uh, actual depiction. So obviously, you know, in, a, in sort of a film where you have two actors and the one is meant to made up to be look like a minor, say, um, you know, and sort of it depicts sort of, say, child porn or sort of a... Uh, statutory rape, for example, providing that the actor is actually over the age of 18, that would still be allowable. It's actual child pornography, that's an issue. Actual bestiality, that's an issue. Um, and in terms of the Films and Publications Board Act, all of these types of materials, it's criminal to be in possession of them, it's criminal to create them, it's criminal to distribute them. Uh, and so that's, that's actually the only form of censorship that we have in the country. And it kind of falls in line with uh, the constitutional right, freedom of speech, the limited um, uh, limitations to the freedom of speech. Uh, you know, we don't allow propaganda for violence, uh, propaganda for war, I mean, incitement of violence against categories of people based on uh, specific traits like race or gender or sexual orientation. All Nick, of this sort of material is censored here. Yeah? Nick, when we, uh, when we were talking about this earlier, you, you were mentioning the difference between, and I know this is what you're talking about, the difference between censorship and classification. Um, 
but you 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 made a very interesting point about uh, the different levels of classification, uh, particularly the XX level of classification. Uh, how does this mm. how does this XX level actually fit with uh, with the understanding of censorship? What is you, you mentioned um, criminal offences applicable to to censorship? Are there criminal offences applicable to the XS cla- XX classification? Yes. Okay. So basically, how how it works is that there's two types of censorship, uh, and the censorship happens through classification. So the top, the the, the most serious form is what we would call is when a publication would be refused classification uh, and that falls to child pornography and uh, any uh, depiction of extreme um, inciting hatred or violence against people of a specific class or specific class of people based on certain traits and that would be refused classification uh, and that it, it, that is completely prohibited you, you cannot create distribute hold do anything with that sort of that sort of material, mm. as opposed to XX classification. Now, XX has, uh, that's where bestiality, uh, incest, um, uh, sexual acts that seriously uh, impair someone's dignity, um, those would fall under XX classification. Now, what's interesting about XX is that it's not a criminal offense to possess that, but it is a criminal offense to create and distribute it. Um and so it's slightly less serious uh, in that you, you cannot, it's not uh, prohibited, for example, to have been possession of these sort of things, uh, of XX classified goods, but it would be a criminal offense to distribute it as opposed to uh, refuse classification could, goods where it's actually an offense to be in possession of it as well. Mm. So that's sort of the two levels of censorship that we have. Um, one being far more extreme than the other. They both carry the same criminal penalties in terms of if you fall foul of those sections. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's treat, you know, the one it's okay to possess it, um, but it's not okay to, uh, to possess the other. The other thing is also that even both of these types of classification both actually have exemptions. So if you can prove that there's artistic merit or is for research, legitimate, genuine research, then it would be you would be allowed to be in possession of these materials, even though it normally would be prohibited, for example. Okay. So that's sort of censorship. So, so but that's not what we're particularly interested in. Uh, what we want to talk about is okay. Well, if that's what censorship is, what is classification? So at its core, classification is meant to be a consumer service. The idea is is that as consumers, as people who will buy or partake in media, uh, whatever form it takes, we have a right, I suppose, to know what is in that content and whether we may find it offensive, whether we would deem it appropriate or suitable for our children, say, to be in possession. This is a big thing. There's a lot of the justifications for the Film Publications Board is, is they want to prevent harmful content being exposed to children. And I don't think that anyone can argue with that. I mean, it, you know, we don't want minors, very small children, for example, being exposed to very violent movies or very violent games. We don't want small children being exposed to explicit pornography. Um, and so in that sense, it makes sense. You know, we, so as a parent, somebody who's buying a game or, um, you know, going to go to the cinema, I, 
the, the classifications allows me to determine, well, is it appropriate that my five-year-old child goes and see this film? Or is it appropriate that my five-year-old child will play this game? Mm. Uh, what's interesting, though, is, is that once beyond R18, which is sort of the classification for pornographic material and sort of extreme violence, it's not a criminal offense for a minor to take part in this sort of content. And what I mean is that, so we'll say a film gets rated 16. Uh, it's not illegal for a parent to take a 12-year-old child to go and see this movie. Right? It's not illegal for a parent to buy that child uh, a 16-rated game, even though they are only five or six years old. And so it's very, very much is just uh, a consumer awareness platform, I suppose. And so this it's... is also sort of... So, so it's kind of yeah. like uh, the the Film and Publications Board isn't censoring the the content that we that we get to see, but it's providing a consumer service whereby the consumer can manage their expectations of what uh, of what it is that they will consume. And it's not binding; it's a guideline, um, uh, and it's only it only has legal effects when you when you reach the the eighteen year threshold and the the sort of more more censorship-orientated laws start kicking in. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, we've determined that certain content is wholly inappropriate and should never be in the hands of anyone under the age of 18. Um, and that's, you know, that, and, and that's exactly as you said. It's, it's, a, it's a consumer service, and it's allow consumers to make correct buying decisions. And this is reflected in terms of what can be classified, what we call the classifiable elements. So there's your obvious things like uh, nudity, strong language, uh, sex, depictions of sex, violence. Um, what's interesting is, though, is that, so it, South Africa has actually got quite granular. For if, a, if a film or, or, or a game is particularly blasphemous, that can have a 16 rating B for blasphemy. Um, you know, and so people who have strong religious beliefs may find that content offensive. Um, there are... There is a, a whole discussion to be had about the classifiable elements and sort of should we even be doing this. But if it's if it's viewed through the context of, well, this is just a consumer service, then you know I think it can be justified. We want people mm -hmm. to be as informed as possible. South Africa generally is a conservative society, um, and so you know people would want to know about this. What where things start. For, oh, actually, before we move on to the next one, I think it's also important is that whenever the Films and Publications Board comes up, people sort of really talk about how our classification system is very strict. And it's something that the Films and Publications Board has actually been going on. This is that, you know, how does our classification differ to those of other countries? You know, why, why is it inappropriate for us to use something like PEGI? Why is it inappropriate for us to use something like the ESRB? Um, and sort of what the Films and Publications Board would say is, is that, well, a teenager in South Africa is different to a teenager in America. And so our sensibilities, our what we deem to be acceptable is completely different. And that's true. And if anything, South Africa actually isn't that strict. Um, we have a tendency, we have a far more European sensibility in terms of depictions of uh, violence and nudity and sex. So, for example, the Fifty Shades of Grey movie. Uh, was rated, I think, 13, while in America it carried an R rating, which is interesting. Um, so, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, we're, we're very prudish, or the Films and Publications Board is very prudish. 
when evidence would suggest that in fact that's not the case at all. Uh, okay, but, so this I think if that was it, if that's the if that was the whole and sum of this issue, then I don't think there would be very much room for complaint. Where the rub is is that mm. we have a system of what we call pre-publication classification. And the idea is is that you have to get content classified prior to making it available. And not doing so has criminal sanction. And that's actually my biggest issue, is that because, well, once it got classified, if that classification is not really adhered to, if somebody made available 16 content to a 13-year-old, well, it doesn't really matter. So why are we attaching such serious sanctions on the distributors uh, yeah, and, the, and the providers of content when, legally speaking, the classification is meaningless? providing it's not an 18 or higher rating. Um, and that's that's my serious gripe with the system. I don't see why we should be having a pre-publication classification system for anything less than 18 or above, because those are the classifications that have legal sanction. Those are the things that we need to make sure are being classified and being sort of alerted to. Other content, I don't... I, I, well, for one, I don't see that... Either it shouldn't have criminal sanction attached to it, um, or we shouldn't have a strict requirement that there be pre-publication classification. Now, the courts have dealt with this issue in a way, um, in that, as we've discussed previously, the Films and Publications Board Act, um, Act is very broad, and what the what the board can classify is very broad. I mean, we've seen them attempt to classify artworks, which was justifiable, except it got overturned. Um, what the, the case went to the Constitutional Court, and what we've seen there is, is that um, I think it was the South African Press Editors Forum. I can't remember the party, but it was somebody basically on behalf of journalists. And they argued that pre-publication classification was unconstitutional. Right? It was absurd that magazines and news reports would have to go and be classified first, especially when there was this element of, uh, you know, time timeliness. It was important that the content get out to people as soon as possible in order to make it newsworthy, in order to make it relevant. Um, and what the Constitution Court ruled was that, yes, it is unconstitutional. They didn't go as far as to say, though, that pre-publication -pre classification in itself is unconstitutional, and that it is an unreasonable limitation on someone's freedom of speech. Instead, they, they limited it to only to journalistic or um, journalistic works or newsworthy items. Mm, if, I, if I remember the case correctly, it focused mainly about um, exactly what you said, newsworthy, newsworthiness. So pre-publication mm. classification essentially would uh, hamper the ability of the free media to be free and to share information that the, that the public would deem uh, newsworthy and interesting and uh, important in a, in, a, in, a, in a societal and political context. Um, and to my mind, that's, that it does make sense, um, but it's, it's, it's dangerous to, like you say, to bring this into, into non-newsworthy uh, avenues as well, because there's the, there's the possibility for, for effective censorship um, of non-news items, like particular films or things that 
things that are satirical of uh, of the government as well. Um, or perhaps I'm being just a little bit too paranoid about that. No, but that's exactly right, and that's the issue. It goes down to that very first podcast on this topic that I did, is how much do you trust the government? Mm. Uh, because the Forms of Publications Board isn't some private institution. It's not rated by some sort of association like the ESRB. Right? It is essentially a branch of the government, and if you know, they could, through the classification system, prevent... So there is no requirement that the Forms and Publications Board classify content timelessly. Right? So once something is submitted for classification, there's no thing saying that they have to do this as quick as possible. They could take months, years if they wanted to. And before something gets published, it becomes a criminal offense. And that way they can effectively censor content because it then becomes a criminal offense to upload or distribute that content before it receives classification. Uh, so think, what do you what do you think then would be a better way of of handling this? I know that we chatted a, a while ago surrounding um, possibility of a post publication classification, but how 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 do you think that would work? Would it work? Um, well, okay. Well, let's say that it kind of goes back to that basis. This is that classification at its core, I think, is good. I don't I don't have an issue that we have classification system. I don't even have an issue that we have a granular classification system. Things like um, blasphemy, for example, being a, an item of, of, of a classification material, for example. That's not my issue. My issue is that there is an undue pressure put on the distributors and creators of the work that doesn't translate into the enforcement of this classification. So... What I would see, or the, my suggested solution would be, that we move away from pre-publication classification for any content, unless it is from an R18 or 18 or higher, right? So if you know that you are creating something that could have an 18 classification, um, then you must go and get it classified, right? And the sanctions for not doing so, so if, you, you know, classify something as 16 or you don't get something classified at all but make it available and it turns out that it should have an 18 rating then I'm, I'm very happy for there to be jail time and serious fines attached to that uh, because that's sort of it, 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 it fits the rationale of the rest of the framework um, the question the question I have though is how would that practically work I mean you 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 wouldn't know Say now, say now I've got a film that has uh, that is ostensibly in my eyes a 16 uh, classification, and um, I produce it and don't submit it for pre-publication classification uh, because I don't think that it's that it's it it, it passes the 18 years threshold. Mm. And uh, mm. when it has when it has been published, it turns out that it actually is post 18. Um, I logically, it seems to me that the that the the best way of of catching these outliers is by submitting everything that could even slightly be deemed R18 or 18 and above um, for for classification, even if it would otherwise just be 16 or PG 13 or something like that. No, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with that, and then, see that's how I think I think the system self corrects, is that if you know it rather be safe than sorry rather induce people in, into doing the stuff you know but the thing is it's like it's absurd for things like uh, you know e for everybody where it's clearly a child's game there's no way that it's not going to be that mm. yet they have to go through the process you know it, your fringe elements definitely and then the onus is on 
the distributors and the creators to rather err on the side of safety, you know, and if they want to make that call, then, you know, and if they want to risk it, then there are risks attached to it. Because the second part of this is, is that not only should we be moving away from pre-publication classification, which should be managed by the FPB, from the Films and Publications Board, that's the thing. The second element, though, is that, and this is kind of coming into the Amendment Act, is, is that there should be a broader system of allowing people to self-classify. That's the second mm -hmm. element. Um, and then, so, you know, if, if we make it really easy, really cheap, um, and, you know, really there shouldn't be a cost attached to this. If we made it really easy for content creators to self-classify their works and providing they met sort of with the within the guidelines, right, which should be readily available and they shouldn't be obtuse and they shouldn't be that difficult to, to follow, then, you know, people would be classifying their content, especially if we could come up with some sort of better. So this is the other thing. This was the last component of my preferred system is that there should be some benefit to classification. So instead of trying to use the stick, use the carrot, right? There should be some way of we should be inducing content creators to self-classify their work because they receive some benefit from it. Um, and then what the Films and Publications Board does, or what they should become doing, is they become less of a classification agency, but more of a monitoring body to ensure that people are classifying their content correctly, um, especially for the R18 and above, which would have serious sanctions attached. And what their primary mandate supposedly is, is the monitoring and the prevention of child pornography. Um, that m removes a lot of the, the powers of censorship away from them. It makes the system better, I think. It makes it more efficient, I think. Um, but it also then shifts, you know, it, it becomes less arduous like I just think about the games industry like so many um, game developers in South Africa classify their content with their films and publications mm -hmm. board they just don't do it because it's impractical and they don't really see South Africa as a distribution platform so they're not going to bother which means we have a whole lot of content that is not being classified uh, and you know primarily it's because there's this whole palaver that you have to go through all these hurdles that you need to jump through in order to do that if we made it easier for them to do it Right. And if we made it beneficial to them, right, if we said, well, by doing so, you get and, and I suppose this is where the problem is. I'm not sure what those benefits would be. But if there was some benefit to them getting their work classified, um, you know, then I think and it was easy for them to do it. They could do it themselves. Then I would think we would see more content being classified and that public service would then become available. Mm. You see, the, so, so the, the core that, that I see that you're getting at here is that it's the, the current system of pre-publication uh, pre classification seems to be one of forcing people to classify, and that is seemingly um, pushed uh, and, and, and um, encouraged by these changes that the, that the policy is, is putting in regarding um, user-generated content, forcing people to classify their things, which doesn't seem to seem to make any sense. But you're wanting to shift from a, from a system of forcing people to classify to instead incentivizing them to classify. Um, yes. And uh, part of this could be a sort of post-publication classification. That, that kind of... Uh, comes in with with the self classification you being able to do it do it yourself after you've created this work and you think 
what should I classify it as, uh, giving you the power. And um, you talk about the benefits. I think that uh, that possibly one of the one of the biggest ones that we could provide is by uh, getting the FPB to promote South Africa as a distribution platform, as a place, a springboard for uh, content creators in South Africa to produce content and uh, deliver that content to international to the international community. And I think that they uh, they can do this by um, by what you what you said and what we said in the previous uh, podcast, uh, the the Film and Publications Board joining uh, IARC. If the FPB classification system is accepted across the world, um, and it's cheaper for us to classify our stuff under the FPB's classification system than it is to go to the ESRB or to PEGI, then that in itself is already an incentive for us to classify here mm. and distribute it in, uh, in, the, in the markets that we want to. And part of this would be uh, would be also bringing, for example, uh, Google wallets, uh, Google merchant accounts to South Africa, allowing people to upload their games, uh, their content to these international platforms. Yeah, I, and I think look, the last element. I mean, you're all, all you're 100% right with everything you said, and I think the last sort of missing piece as well is that moving away from a compulsory pre-publication classification system is that it very much minimizes the scope for abuse and the scope for actual censorship to creep in or abuses of the system to, to prima facie censor goods. And that's the other concern, is, is that, you know, the, the Films and Publications Board says, well, we're not a censorship body, right? Um, but their powers as currently stated and as proposed, looks an awful lot like censorship or certainly allows it to happen. And I think that's the bigger public worry. Just the last thing about pre-publication classification, which is, again, which is sort of my other irk that I have with the system that we've got at the moment. Only films and games are subject to pre-publication classification currently. And that... I don't know. I don't. I don't know why. I don't see any rationale on why that is the case. I don't think there are. You know, the, no one has been able to categorically prove that uh, exposure to games and film is more likely to affect someone's behavior. You know, we we've heard of all these, uh, you know, shootings as oh, and they you know they played a lot of violent video games, but uh, that's that's not causative. Um, you know, but, and why not books? You know, how many mass murders have or, or sort of violent strikes have happened or how much violence has happened because of what people have written books? Yet books aren't subject to classification. And if we even announce that, people will immediately say, oh, you know, but that's censorship. And that, you know, it's just something that's not tolerated. I mean, the 50, again, going back to Fifty Shades of Grey, which was basically porn, right? Mills and Boo. I mean, that's available for any child to go in and buy, really. You know, they're not locked away behind cabinets. They don't have this massive, um, you know, sort of you, you, symbols pasted onto these books. Um, and more importantly, the book distributors, like exclusive books, wouldn't be held liable. It's not a criminal offense for them to make Fifty Shades of Grey available to uh, to a 16-year-old, even though it contains 
depictions of, of, of graphic depictions of sex. Mm. Right. One of the um, one of the one of the uh, supporting arguments that I've that I've heard um, surrounding how great books are is essentially that that well that they're wholesome uh, and they they can. Crap! I think you're going to need to edit this one out. Um, no yeah. One of the one of the arguments that I've heard surrounding books is that they can positively influence uh, the the reader's the reader's mind in a in a good and a wholesome way, uh, just by virtue of the fact of th- that that they are good books, um, which doesn't really sit well with me as a good argument. Considering if they can positively influence you, then yeah. surely they can also negatively influence you, depending yeah. on what is written and how it's written. Mm. Well, and also, like, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I, I'm a huge advocate of games for good. I think games are a great learning medium. I think they're a great way of, of like you said, changing people's minds, changing people's opinions. Um, and, you know, it, they can affect people. This isn't in dispute. But, you know, so, I, again, I would, and that's not why I'm opposed to it, you know, um, but I'm just opposed to the current system that's in place. And the hypocrisy that the media is treated differently is my other issue. But I think we need to close it there. Um, we're coming up. So thanks for listening. This was Critical Lawsuit with Nick and Kevin. Uh, we're going to be taking a break because of the Easter holidays coming up. So there will be no podcast next week, but we will be coming back. Uh, our topic is yet to be decided, but I have a feeling we'll be doing some copyright stuff because there seems to be a lot of interest about that. There uh, is indeed. I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to April and some of the uh, some of the very interesting topics that we'll be discussing. Um, the FEB stuff has been has been very interesting, and we'll uh, we'll no doubt get back to you um, when we've when we've seen what the Film Publications Board has actually decided to do with its policies. Mm, indeed. Uh, but yes, I hope you all enjoy your Easter holidays if you are in fact taking them. If you celebrate Easter. Uh, and we will see you in a few weeks' time. This cool. is Nick. Thanks and for Kevin. listening. Cheers, guys.